Hi, and welcome to episode 54 of the Tomato Timeline. Today, I'm excited to bring you someone you might have heard of if you've been uh, studying for Ola in A-level chemistry because of his YouTube channel. Bilal has been teaching since 2002, and he's also the founder and director for three prominent private educational institutions in Karachi, Pakistan. He has a background in educational entrepreneurship as well as technology besides chemistry, and he's currently leading multiple edtech projects under his organization, Qadam. His dream is to nurture lifelong learning and ethical leadership in Pakistan's youth. An inspiring mission. Thank you so much for joining us, Bilal. Thank you for having me. Bilal, I have to kick it off with uh, something that came out of the team uh, as soon as I shared that you were going to be joining us on on an episode. They said that... um, uh, Bilal is the reason we we passed A-level chemistry. And I'm sure you've heard a lot in the past like that before. So tell me a little bit about yeah. your YouTube channel, how it all started, where you were at the time. Uh, the channel started about three years ago. So I've been teaching A-levels. In fact, not just chemistry. I've taught A-level math mm-hmm. uh, and IGCSE and GCSE chemistry, math, physics. So I've been teaching for a while. And I've been always been fascinated by technology because that's the reason why I actually got into computer science when I was in undergrad. So okay. anytime there's an excuse to use technology in the classroom, I jump on it. First with the projector, interactive boards, all that stuff, iPads in the classroom. So as one of the initiatives that we started off with at Cedar College, the last, the latest startup I had, all the students were given iPads and they were given digital content to view, to work with, to use notes of and all that. So to facilitate that, I thought, you know what? There has to be an easier way to record class lectures. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen the MIT Open Courseware being the pioneers yeah. of recording class lectures. And then there were Khan Academy, who's a big inspiration. Salman Khan is like a personal hero from Khan Academy. So I saw his work and I was using the iPad before that I was using the, the Wacom tablet. And I started using the iPad and then until you get technology that helps you do that. And there was a time that we suddenly got apps like Good Notes and explain everything. And it became much easier to literally record your iPad. So the, mm. so a few years ago, and I realized it was so easy to record. All I just did was record how I deliver lectures in a class. A little more consciously on my iPad while delivering them, hooking myself with a mic, wireless system. And I thought, okay, I'll get this out to my own students. So literally, it was actually for my own students who would miss a class. And I mm-hmm. thought they'll get extra help. And then I said, if they had friends who want to watch, they'd watch. So initially, it was really just me. So if you watch my earlier videos, I'm cracking jokes in the classroom also. I'm picking on somebody yeah. <laughs> or, you know, so it's all that mixed in because it was just me doing exactly what MIT had done with the open courseware, a little less formal and just getting it out there. Because I felt that if revolution has to come through technology, then you got to first have consumer behavior changing. So there's nobody in mm-hmm. Pakistan using technology to learn. So you could not even think of starting up a sustainable business model on it unless you get behavior to change. So my goal was literally just get some kids to say, hey, I learned this on YouTube. And that's a domino effect, you know. And yeah. you could say the inflection point was COVID because by that time, till that time, really nobody else was doing it except for one other person in, uh, in my circle of uh, teaching colleagues. Mm-hmm. And then with COVID, everybody said, hey, let's just put up our Zooms online. So at least that started happening. So yeah. now we are the stage that people think, hey, I can just watch a video to learn. And that's, that's, that was the change I was actively going for. Just making sure enough kids can use video to learn. And the reason for that is because in the IGCSE and A-level world that we are in, and I'm sure you work with also, yeah. is that A-level content is a little specialist content. It's very specific. And there aren't as many teachers to deliver that well. 
And my goal was that if I rather not, I mean, I was getting paid very well from the school. I can teach a few kids and make a lot of money from them, or I can teach a lot of kids, maybe make no money or at least one amount of money from each person. But the scale is reached, and everybody gets access to high quality instructional content because obviously I'm not kidding myself. I'm not making interactive content. It's instructional, and it gets better and better with with time and age. But generally, that's how I started off with. Amazing. I have so many questions, uh, but the first observation I wanted to pick up on was was this point you talk about in terms of the ease of technology, because it is true, even if we look at a couple of years ago, when we were still messing around with the graphics pads and trying to get content up, um, things like live streaming was such a an unheard of concept. I, I mean, I'm not very old, but I still remember dial up internet connections where we had to yeah. pull the telephone line out and connect it to our, to our mobile, to our computers. And um, I still remember finding out about YouTube, but YouTube was just an impossible dream. How would we be streaming videos on this, on this, 256k internet connection or 128 whatever it was um yeah. so it it needed the kind of the the maturity of the technological tools and platforms to be able yeah. to deliver what what's happening now um absolutely but i call about- youtube i call i call i'm sorry to cut you i mean just highlighting your point i actually call the youtube revolution is the same as equivalent or as important as the gutenberg printing press revolution mm. they just made it i mean and not just youtube the fact that technology made it easier and easier and cheaper to store data, upload data, internet, server space, all of that had to become such a low cost that it's now easier to record than to write it down. You know? That's true. And and that's what I need to happen. And now I think that's a democracy that we were looking for in terms of uh, exp- you know, f- figuring out how to communicate expert content out there. Yeah. And another observation is just the fact that you, you shared how your, your videos often kind of get... The, the cracking of the jokes and kind of keep it humane. Mm. Um, yeah. we, we have also been doing through Xenotes live video content on educational kind of subjects as academic subjects like the A-levels and GCSEs. And one thing that I've been really pushing forward for is is ensuring that the the the, the episode, the, the, the content that's delivered is always done with at least two people. It's done with a, a host and an expert. And the reason for that is that conversational aspect. And I wonder what you think, uh, being in this kind of YouTube education space, the, the value that comes out of um, either a live interaction and recording of it or a um, the, ha- the the presence of more than one person on a video versus one person just writing on a, on a PowerPoint slide and just kind of flicking through. The, have you have you noticed an, a difference? Have you tried to the different models out and experienced something different from either? I haven't actually. It's the first time I'm hearing about that unique idea that you you mentioned that there's a host and an expert because mm. that looks like that and you're recording the interaction also though or also you're you are showing the discovery of. So I think as yeah. as a live recording of a session, that is a brilliant idea. I don't know how you could uh, uh, because in most times when I'm making video content, like a p- particular 15 minute video, because now when I look at the fact that kids have to learn learn. The next thing comes to me is that the way the way the way they make a payment. Most students only make a payment by the time they give us. So I want to make a more efficient video. So yes, humane fun is important, but I also throw in the idea that okay, I've got to turn a 30-minute content lecture into 15-20 minutes. So what can I do? Remove the R's and the O's. So I actually end up pausing, re-recording parts of it. When you have a conversation going, the beauty of that would be it not cut at all. It's just exactly mm. live, live. So I would not be able to comment on the effectiveness of it, though it seems like a brilliant idea to try. 
somebody who like me who loves experimenting i'd love to try that and that never occurred to me so i will actually i'll have to go and check out the videos that you talk about and get you feedback yeah. on that then because that looks fascinating because i understand that from a from a student who's shy perspective he sees another host which might be a student or might not be an expert discover the same things or the same methods he's discovering exactly. yeah and that gives people confidence okay look you know i'm not that bad they yeah. took the same path of understanding as i did that's great so i think and the idea I- is great though I'm I'm really glad to hear it, and it's almost like inception. But the the reason why I talk about this is because even within a podcast, the reason why podcasts are getting the kind of the, the traction and the visibility is because of this conversation. We're having a conversation, but we also have a third person in the room who's our who, who's who's the listener, and and although they may not be vocal, they're actually very much part of this conversation that we have. And I think yeah. this this is a very useful effect when we're delivering educational content to ensure that the listener or the learner is not simply um outside this uh this the stage that we're on but instead is actually part of it is part of the conversation um i want to understand a little bit more about the transition or the kind of the the co-development i guess of those the institutions in karachi how you you mentioned some of the kind of new technological implementations you made in those in those institutions yeah. how are they running um how what are what are the differences in in comparison to the other institutions and other kind of uh schools of uh, around in, sure. in the area sure so i mean i can give you the names also it'll help those who know the city that in karachi that they can understand and recognize the names well so, so far they've all been very very highly successful financial ventures the reason why i moved on was i was looking for a new challenge so the first mm-hmm. one was nixer they tried a few uh, their innovation was not as tech heavy as in but it was more innovative in the education point of view so mm-hmm. the students had a choice in which courses and lectures they chose lecturers they chose or instructors there was choice in when to get take admission i mean there's a whole new change in which students get admitted to our schools now in pakistan at least in karachi well it was a different way they changed that also because of nixer a lot of new schools came up nixer was first in where the schools was being set up and owned by actual teachers so they knew were so the people who okay. owned the school were actually people who were teaching in yeah. a classroom and yeah. that changed everything so every other school now that's opened up is mainly also has a few if not more teachers part of the ownership structure so that was one change that's sustainable nixer is still a top 3 school in our country in our city actually doing really well I wanted to do more education innovation and technological so then set up another school with other friends of mine uh, who are also teachers that's called Cedar College it's also doing massively well so these are top two schools three schools in the city right now in terms of both quality of students and in terms of the number of admissions and subscriptions and campus uh, and everything and in that school I tried to uh, we tried iPads students had iPads for a few years uh, and i think it changed because i stepped down from while leading the school also and i stepped down from that role and moved out of the project a couple of years later because i want to focus only on teaching at that time and i was done that and i wanted to do something else so now i'm in yeah. the edtech space that's what i want to focus on but those schools tried innovative approaches and they're still because of those initial approaches they mm-hmm. have stuck to being leaders in the industry so far i wish they would you know keep on innovating that's the kind of person i am that yeah. i don't just because something worked you don't just live on the success of that you got to push so that others like for me i'm driven by competition so i want to always, always be head ahead ahead like thinking about uh, you know doing what's next what's uh, and 
the in the end the goal is to serve the students more efficiently the goal is to make it better for them more efficient for them because they're spending too much time uh, really studying for these standardized exams these high stakes exams that there are it is actually not very good for the well being also i know kids in karachi and pakistan end up spending 12 hours a day or 8 hours a day just in classrooms you got the schools and colleges and then they also go for afternoon help evening help with tutors and all that and that takes up a whole chunk of the day so they have mm. no time for even physical well being like a sport or anything like that you know they like mm. we don't have time for that and so that's missing in our society now i have seen mm-hmm. the the, high, the the competitiveness of the the exams has taken the fun out of a child's life so i am focusing on trying to now for the next way forward how can we reduce this time make it more efficient save some money all through technology so that you know that that's how we take the steps forward yeah i mean there's so many questions i want to ask but the 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 thing that kind of draws me immediately is is well being um i remember reading a statistic or or some sort of fact many years ago i can't reference it the the, the actual research but it came across something like the this the stress and pressures that students at school were now facing at these at high stakes exams were equivalent to some of the 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 stress levels of uh, people in the army in world war 2 or, or some some ridiculous ridiculously crazy uh, stress levels and it it's really scary to think that you know these young uh, especially kind of very uh, metamorphizing young human beings you know they're they're ready for change and they're ready to explore the world are suddenly being um put through this kind of furnace to kind of get the best possible exam grades because so many um things are dependent on them right whether it's yeah. not just the next school the next college but the university from the university to the next job to not the, the, everything is like it's so linked up and i i think it's changing and it's changing for the better and i'm really excited to see things like um google and microsoft and apple setting up uh you know universities and and and, le- and pathways for non university students to to actually uh get into their careers and so the the transition is happening but at the same time we're still in a position of this transition we still need to support the next thousands uh, millions of students who are going to go through this educational system so what yeah. what do you think how 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 have you two parts i guess how do you see technology enabling young people and students to be able to get through these high stakes exams while maintaining their uh, quality of living and and their and mental well-being and secondly um what what happens to the education system in response to this do we do we still stick to this assessment based system i know there are two distinct questions but i'd i'd let you let yeah. you kick off with that sure i love those questions i love both of them actually because i've been thinking about the same problems actually mm. because as somebody who's gone through it myself and i'm sure you just recently went through exams before your college uh, that these are sometimes they don't even need it because in the end they maybe are just a signaling to a university take this kid he's smart that's it that's all they are for really mm-hmm. right and we know that soon enough because right now we can't even blame them because they are the only way to assess an international student body because for, from for many countries the the universities really can't judge their internal systems fairly so they have to rely on these international assessments to get a level playing field but because of the the grade the the the, the upward mobility and security attached to these grades everybody's running after them so i think it we are in the right i think you you also feel it things are changing and mm-hmm. things are going to change very very soon very very fast 
but not fast enough. So I think maybe five years, six years, ten years down the road, we might not even have standardized exams, and that would be brilliant. There'll be other ways of assessing student ability, student intelligence, and everything else uh, that we need to. Till that time, so till while while we while schools might get there, and you know what do we do with how we can lower the anxiety levels right now? So that's what I want to. Uh, so I looked at the problems of students. Like I've realized the same myself that. Okay, so what are students are getting stressed about? What the what they're getting stressed about is that many of them don't have access to high quality teaching content. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's not not everybody has great teachers in school that inspire them. And then even if they do, sometimes they can't access them. They don't be able to go to the. They can't afford because it's not like in most countries, good education isn't provided by the government. It's not free. So there's fun. So the access to high quality education can be really really scaled by edtech because. Mm -hmm. You know, the same high quality lectures that the best of the best in the world give, you know, if they can be delivered and recorded and saved for the whole world to watch, why not? That'll make access. So access at a much lower cost, always available. So when these kids are stressed out, this, these guys are studying in, in midnight. I mean, at 1 a.m., 12, 11 p.m., they have nobody to help them there. But they'll mm -hmm. have everybody online for all other conversations, but there's nobody to help them academically that late. So mm -hmm. I think just like the service industry and many more uh, tech supports 24-7, I think there's got to be a tech 24-7 educational support network also. So whenever the kids mm -hmm. are studying, they have so that they are worry-free. Most of the, uh, most of the uh, problems they have is time and access and worry. I mean, and the fact that they can always ask for help. So you make it easier to ask for help. You make it as easy and free as possible to get expert knowledge on the mm -hmm. and then somebody tells them this is how it's done i mean funny enough we, we the kids spend a lot of time on in school and classes so that if you reduce that part then they actually have time to also yeah. breathe in you know they haven't been able to take ownership of their learning because when you go to a class when you go to any school the teacher will say okay this is the whole year what we'll study but this child is no, no, he's not in ownership of his learning. He has to wait for the teacher to come to school to deliver a, a content for him to absorb it. Mm -hmm. But with technology, you, the child is in charge. He can, he or she can watch, like binge watch content. They binge watch Netflix, right? So yeah, of course, you can binge watch Khan Academy and yeah. really learn in three months a whole year's worth of content. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to give these kids so that they realize that they can do that, so that they have more time for other things in their life, friends just the air, just some time for them, for their own well-being. So I think reducing that stress by giving them, here, here's everything you need and you can use it anytime you want to. And there's help also available for you 24-7. That, that's something that we have to get to. While, while the, the whole ecosystem around them figures out a way to reduce the in, importance of these standardized exams or replaces yeah. them with other forms of assessment. Till that time, I'm sure there's a way to we could reduce the stress by using technology. Very other other industries are already doing it. And I think you'll notice that education for other things outside of standardized exams are on the rise. I mean, you got Udemy going public, you have Skillshare, Creative Life. I mean, they, they are teaching creativity digitally. If you can do that, you can easily teach math and science digitally. You know, it's yeah. not that difficult. Yeah. And high quality also that. Yeah. Sorry. I love that. No, I and it's it's. I feel like what you're saying is just like it, it's just bolstering me up because that's a lot of what we believe and want to achieve through Zenos as well of providing high quality educational access. Um, and and maybe this is a very kind of like a question that's really interesting for me. Uh, and I really want to hear your opinion on it. Um, sure. so you're you're 
your perspective and your your experiences have always been of course you were a student at, at one point of your life but now it has always for a long period of time has been as a teacher has been as that yeah. mentor has been yeah. as an expert um the kind of the philosophy and the model that Xenos has taken on is a very student-led approach. And I think there is a marrying of this. And I, I, I think that teachers are critical to that mentor mentorship capacity that they bring in. They inspire you. They give you so much. But I, my, my, kind of, my, uh, my philosophy and what I kind of push forward is always that young people and students themselves can be empowered to do a lot as well. So where do, you see, where do you see the two pieces fitting in, the teachers and their expertise and instructional content and high quality instructional content and and the second piece which i am a big uh, proponent of is peer-to-peer learning and all coming together under the umbrella of ownership so that education so the students are the owners of their educational pathway that they're the, the not just the consumers but actually the producers and and proponents of it as well so as far as the first really early part, you said you were a student once and then you became a teacher. So I got to tell you something about myself. The reason why I got into teaching was only because naturally I was helping a lot of my friends with their understanding of schoolwork while I was already in school. Okay. So, so okay. I think that hit home and you just said, how can students, because I don't believe teacher, teachers aren't Teachers aren't thought of title. There isn't a title for a teacher. Teacher is a role and anybody can take on that role for even a small amount of time. Mm. I used to do that mm. for my own friends. So when you talk about social learning or learning as a community of students together, they can take on roles of teachers at micro instances. You know, for that moment, you start because most of the time, it's not that instructional content is the only thing they need. Many times they're looking at a high quality video and they don't understand something. Mm-hmm. At that moment is when if they are watching content together like a Facebook watch party or a Netflix watch party because that's because if you can watch movies together you can watch content together yeah. so teachers role should only really honestly be to make high high quality instruction especially for higher grades and students can actually help each other by collectively studying it together either watching videos together asking each other but you don't understand something so that your questions are solved right there and then and so even online they can make watch parties so and also mm-hmm. help each other uh, with motivation. Because I think peer-to-peer learning is a support system. It's it's more like, hey, let's all do, make sure let's all make sure we do this by today. Let's like so it's like a buddy system. It's like a mm. it's a mix of, in, in um, you could say, you know, an unofficial counseling also. So there's counseling, some uh, motivation. And so yeah. absolutely I have, I have seen this, and I've seen kids drive other kids by pushing them to watch content to because most kids nowadays they are slowly becoming you could say you know uh, owners of their own learning pathways yes All right? yeah so, so that's it's happening you could see that in some of these online platforms and i think yeah. the more communicate uh, the more social engagement is enabled there it'll be much more i mean much more engaging for the yeah. kids. absolutely i think if they can really help they are really in charge and they're very by the way it's very democratic they'll tell you when something is good or bad, it's they want, <laughs> absolutely. It's yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And that's so, great. We need that. You know, they'll, they'll be very, very honest. And accountability, yeah. I think, peer to peer learning gives a huge amount of accountability to each person. And that's absolutely. that's that's so critical in making ensuring that we kind of follow through in our in our choices and our in our kind of specific assessments and exams. It's so crazy. I feel like we have. I, I literally have a list of questions I still wanted to go through, but we are reaching the end of our episode time as well. So I wanted to just take the last minute and 
over your experiences and having mentored and taught so many students and, and seen them, I'm sure, go on to successes, what is your one piece of advice that you'd like to share with our, with our community about making it in the world? Uh, that don't worry if you haven't figured it out yet. That's the one thing I tell everybody. Don't worry about changing your mind. Don't worry about that you haven't figured it out. There's a, uh, I tell kids, I'm 42 and I still haven't figured it out yet. I don't know what I'm going to do next year. I do, I've, I've thought about a year or two from now. I do like to think that I have plans and I make plans, but I'm not so married to them that things can change and things can mm -hmm. always change. So, And it's never too late. If you think that you have you never really worked hard for yourself, that you can start today. You can start next. You can always start anytime. You can change anytime. And it's, you can change your mind and nothing is set in stone. Like, and that's something that they mean. I mean, you got educators calling it adaptability, agility. You know, these are buzzwords yes. in industry. <laughs> apply mm. to yourself, apply to your own path. That I mean, if you have a path and you love that, that's great for you. And so I think that what I've benefited from the last five years, because you also mentioned about teaching and learning and teachers versus students. What you need to understand is for me to be an effective teacher, and I'm not just saying this, I mean it. I had to be a learner for the last like 10 years. And the internet has been a godsend for me. I have been able to find all my mentors online. They don't even, they don't even know I exist, but I have them in the forms of Simon Sinek, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, you know, Seth Gordon, some creatives and some academics also. There's uh, Peter Atiyah, the doctor. So I follow a lot of people and they... And that's what you should do is free uh, knowledge out there. And I think uh, students, everybody should really look into this also. That, you know, find your mentors online. That's perfectly fine. And as much as you can learn from them for how to live a fulfilled life. Because I think fulfillment is what we want, not happiness. Because mm -hmm. sometimes things are not going to make us happy, but they'll make us fulfilled. Taking care of our responsibilities, our duties is also fulfillment. So I think figuring that out for yourself and not worrying about Having everything sorted is perfectly okay. That was beautiful. Thank you so much, Bilal. It's been an incredible episode. It's great to have you. And thank you for thank everyone you so who's joined us. Thank Take you so care. much. I've had a lot of fun. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye.